God our Father, in our lives we find so many times that the evil spirit wants to separate us from you. We find in ourselves a tendency, a weakness that takes us away from you, our God. Hear our prayer today. We call upon the Holy Spirit to unite us, to make us one with Jesus so that we can be transformed every moment of every day into Christ Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ask this through the intercession of Mary. Amen. I would like to read from the scriptures one of the most powerful divisive forces in the Christian community, and that is the sin of unforgiveness. How we have so much that separates us from God, the sins of sloth, lust, anger, judgment, uh, the, 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 that tendencies that, that the human heart has. Uh, so many in our families and in our world are overcome by gluttony, uh, overeating, addictiveness, uh, the, the tendency to separate us from God, the, the, the forces within ourselves, the flesh that pulls us away from the source of our joy and the source of our happiness as, as God has created us to be in union with him in love. And so man, having this spirit, also has this flesh. Not that the flesh is of itself evil. That would be called Manichaean. Uh, and that was St. Augustine's sin for a long time. Our flesh is not evil. God gave us flesh. God became flesh. The word was made flesh. That is human. But there are tendencies in every human being that lead us away from God. Now, this particular tendency of unforgiveness, I think if you look in your parish, if you look in your family, and if we look in our world, it's such a horrible disease, the disease of unforgiveness. And so let's listen to Jesus as he addresses this, this weakness in our human flesh. And it's taken from the 18th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. It begins with the 21st verse. 
Then Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy times seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all his possessions in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of the servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that same servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him, started to choke him, demanded, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant began and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me. Should you not have pity on your fellow servant as I had on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the tortures until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart.
the Gospel of the Lord. It's a powerful text. In uh, last year, I gave a workshop on forgiveness with Immaculate Elagabisa. She was a woman from Rwanda. Uh, she, was, uh, she was in a little cubicle, a very little cubicle in, uh, in her country of Rwanda that where she was uh, hidden with six other people during the massacre of where hundreds of thousands of people were killed in Rwanda between the Tutsis and the Hutus in that terrible slaughter that took place in that country. She was there for 91 days. And as she was there, she heard uh, 91 days. And, and if, if they ever discovered that she was there, she would have been killed also. She realized that. And for 91 days, the only thing that she could do in that little space that she was in was uh, to pray the rosary. And for the first 30 days, every time she said the Our Father, she did not say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because she could hear all of the, the, the what was going on in her neighborhood. And her family lived right across the street from this little place where she was sequestered. And first, her father was killed by a neighbor. And she hated that neighbor. Then that same neighbor that they were so good to killed her mother. And then they killed every member of her family. And she was so filled with hate for these people who had lived in her neighborhood. For 30 days, she couldn't say, forgive us our trespasses. Her anger was so violent against those who were killing her family, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters. And of course, if they discovered that she was there, they were going to kill her. They belonged to the opposite tribe, although they had been friends. Then, after she was there, she had realized this was going to destroy her because she was so filled with hatred. And she began, first of all, to say, forgive us our trespasses as she was praying the rosary because she too knew that she could have been killed at any time for 91 days. It was an amazing kind of testimony about hatred that can, that can eat into a human heart. Uh, I, had, I don't think I had ever heard a testimony. I, I went and I gave a retreat in, in Nairobi. And when I was in Africa, 
two of the sisters had a similar experience. One of the sisters had just left uh, Rwanda and uh, they had come and killed her family. And as she began to tell her story about the killing of an entire family, father, mother, brothers, sisters, and, and how this violence can occur. The amazing thing about Rwanda is they were almost all Catholic Christians on both sides. Horrible, horrible massacre. Hundreds of thousands into the millions were killed in Rwanda. 30 years before Mary appeared, 30 years before, and told them unless they began to overcome their rivalry, this was going to occur 30 years before. Our Lady appeared to the children and she kept giving them this message. And this message was heard by teenage children. It's one of the most, and it is an authenticated revelation of Our Lady in Rwanda. This, this horrible uh, unforgiveness that we have as a, as a divider and a, and a force of hatred in the world today. I was in uh, Lebanon and I was, uh, was there and I saw so much killing. It was the first time in my life, I had told you, it was the first time I saw killing and killing and killing. I had never seen it before. In a village of Damur, some radical Muslims had come into the village, in the village of Damur, and they had taken the Christians and they killed them. Almost all the Christians in that village they killed. And one of the, one of the children, a 10-year-old child, a Maria el Khuri, they placed on the altar. And one of the radical uh, Muslim was going to make a sign of the cross of her. And he shot her through with his machine gun as he put her on the altar. Somehow or other, only God knows how she survived. But I saw her in one of, the, one of the rehabilitation centers. What they had done was sever her spinal cord with that machine gun. And the only thing this child could move was her mouth, her hands, she was a paraplegic. And she could paint. And she used to take a paintbrush in her mouth and paint. Beautiful. She had, she had a gift of painting and she would paint pictures and there would be a Mary. And they would all be of forgiveness. Her name was Maria. And when I looked at that child, I thought, my God, my God, to forgive to forgive. 
When I go around preaching forgiveness, so many carry wounds of unforgiveness. So many of us here carry wounds of unforgiveness. I mean, really, not to forgive. Now, this teaching of Jesus is a very important one to forgive. So no matter who, there's no one has ever taught, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be Jesus in the world today? Do you want to live in union with Jesus? Then you must forgive. It's just being part of who he is and of who we are. Of, of all the teachings, I believe, of Jesus that has been most neglected, you know, we are a warring nation. We have enemies. But as true Christians, there is this whole need for, and I remember, you know, bishops coming together. What is a justified war? What is it that we could take up and defend ourselves against our enemies? And what kind of heroic love is there necessary for Christians to love one another and to exhibit that love? Our world has grown so cold from the teaching and the example of Jesus Christ. And so, let's go back to the one who just taught us this, Jesus, as we see him on the cross. That, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the, 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 the desire in Jesus' heart for us, each of us, as we live our daily lives. As you and your wife exchanged your vows today, how many times in an ordinary day, uh, you know, I, I, when I hear this thing about Jesus telling Peter uh, 70 times seven, how many times can you forgive one another? Actually, uh, I remember my dad once said, uh, you know, if I really added up, your mother could turn me off 490 times in three days if I really added it up. And I think that's true. And I think he could have turned her off 490 times in one day because I often heard them exchange. Uh, 70 times seven. I, I remember on their 50th wedding anniversary, somebody asked my dad, did you ever think of divorce? My dad said, no, but murder, yes. How many times in an ordinary day, as you really are, you're in love with one another, but there's a kind of a conflict that comes every single day. If you're really in 
union with one another, there's that constant awareness of a need for union, communion, forgiveness. I hope that each of you, every single night, will open your hearts to one another as to maybe a word that you said or something you didn't do that the other one was aware of. And so that, that intimacy that goes on between, why is that so important? Because the same love that's in you for her, in her for you, is infinite. You have a capacity for communion. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You see, you're not her and she's not you. You don't hear God from her. You hear God from the Father. She hears God from the Father. It's impossible for two people to connect with each other except through God. Who is the only one who knows your spouse? The Father. You don't know her. He alone knows her, her thoughts, her feelings, her whole being. She's not yours. She's his. She belongs to the Father. And as she listens to him, then she can tell you through Christ. You see, your union is in Christ. The source of her relationship with you is through the Father. So is yours through the Father. It's the Father who is telling each of you, you do not know each other like the Father knows you. And so therefore, you're two individuals who are receiving your messages from the Father. And unless you continually communicate with each other, that's why communion is so important, you're not going to really be able to hear what the other one is saying. The greatest gift you can have as a married couple is to listen to each other, to have communication with each other. And what do you have to have that? Is to really listen to the other. So many times what I find in, in marriages is the lack of time that you spend with one another. To really listen to each other. When the children come along, and the demands of business and family and health and situations and parish and all the kinds of things you're going to, then you drown out one another's voices. How little time we really spend with one another. And so how important it is to really listen to one another. You are God's greatest gift to each other. And so if the greatest sign of love between two people is the love of a husband and a wife and a wife for a husband, then you must spend that time with each other.
And I really believe that's one of the failures. And so if you find in your heart on this retreat that there are some things that are still festering inside of you with regard to your husband or your wife, how important it is that you share that with one another. Divorce doesn't happen when people, two people get a divorce. It happens years and years before. And what I find really, and the major thing, is that failure of communication. And so when we look at, and when you, look, when you see at the failures of, of human families and, and marriage today, marriage has not failed. Married people have failed marriage. And so God has so designed it. And if you want to have a successful marriage and continue in your marriage success, just you must begin to spend more time with each other and give that each other that quality time. Over the, you must love one another more than you love your children. Many mothers marry their children. Many husbands marry their careers. Your first priority is each other. And so as, you, as these other things begin to interfere, how important it is, especially on a retreat, to make a resolution, to make each other a priority in each other's lives. And so when you, when you find each other going each other's ways, and many times it's because uh, these festerings, these little, little sacks of pus that begin to grow between a husband and a wife, where you're talking to the guys at the bar or about your wife or your secretary or your friends or your sister about your husband. They're terrible betrayals. And many times we don't even detect it. And so as you, or even worse, your children about their father. And so as you begin to see more and more this awareness for a healthy union and communion between the husband and wife. And then with regard to parents and children, many of us can, if you look in your rearview mirror, see how some of the festerings happened, and I believe some of you carry wounds, and I, I'm a priest 58 years, from your fathers. Father's wounds are big with children. Boys carry wounds from their dad. What their dad did to them when they were five, or what their dad didn't do for them, or wasn't there for them when they were 10 and 15, and the hurts that you still carry in your heart, resentments that you have toward your mother when she said to you what she said. Some of, the, some of the things that you hear and heard from your mother that you still are wounded by. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's really, they're there. 
they're there. Or your brothers and your sisters. The kinds of things that went on as you were growing up. The, the envies, the jealousies, the angers, the hurts that you had from an older brother. Or when someone sexually bothered you some way when you were a little girl. Those kind of wounds remain, especially if you don't forgive. And they tend to, in, they, 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 they're just there. And eventually, there has to be forgiveness. My God, help me. Because once I forgive, and you know, people say, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget. That's a lie. It is. Because when you forgive, especially with the heart of Jesus, you forget. When God forgives us, God forgets. Every sin you've ever confessed in the confessional, God forgot. He doesn't remember it. And so if you continue to remember it, it's because you're still resentful. There's a difference between forgiveness and resentment. If I walk down to you right now and I slap you as hard as I can in the face and you hurt, I'm wrong for hitting you. And you're right for hurting. But if 10 years from now you still hurt from that slap, I didn't do it to you. You do it to yourself. Many of us are carrying resentments about things that happened to us years ago. What my dad did, what my sister did, what my brother-in-law did, what so-and-so did to my child. We're carrying for years and years and years. They're called resentments. It comes from two Latin words, re, again, sentire, to feel. What I do is I think about what they did to me, and I recall it, re, sentire, feel, and I feel it again. Actually, I can feel it again. But they're not doing it to me. It isn't my father that's hurting me again about what he did. I'm doing it to me. I had a young man, he had a son, and uh, his dad wanted to see his son before he died. And the son was so angry with his dad, he said to his dad, you can die. I'm never gonna show you my boy. And the father died, and he never brought his child for the father to see his grandson. For something he did, for the father did, to this son when he was eight years old. The bitterness that we can carry toward our families. So what is that that we hold unforgiven? And many times they're from very close members of our family. 
Father de Grandis has a, has an, a, a very comprehensive uh, prayer. And, uh, and uh, Father uh, Deacon had, had actually been at a retreat with him. And I had this uh, duplicated. It's a very comprehensive one. And it's an extremely important prayer. And I think we ought to just pray it today. I asked him if he would pray this prayer with us. And they, you have your own copy of this. Your wife doesn't have to see it. No one else has to see it, only you. But if these are things that you have carried in your heart, whatever this may bring back in the prayer, don't let this retreat go without asking God to help you let this particular unforgiveness go because it's so important. God is waiting to relieve you. Unforgiveness is a distress. It's a burden. That's what Jesus said. Unforgiveness, in, in Matthew's Gospel, you will go to hell for that. It's not that, it's, it's not an important commandment. So will my Father do to you unless you forgive from your heart. So this is something you, it's deep inside of you. And so if you've been carrying this in your heart, you're the one who's being distressed by it. I wonder if there's someone who actually may be in purgatory, who's dead, that you may have never forgiven. Who's here today saying to you, please forgive me. I'm not sure. Mother-in-law, someone that maybe you have never forgiven from your heart. A grandparent, something that they may have done, something that they are still asking you, please forgive me. Because Jesus did say, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. And whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. And if you haven't forgiven that person, that person wants to be forgiven by you. And you have a power to do that. There's a story they tell about, you know, uh, when I told you, I, and I actually believe that's true, uh, about if you forgive, you forget. Cain killed his brother. And after a couple thousand years in purgatory, uh, he finally gets to heaven. And he gets to heaven and he sees his brother. And he says to Abel, Abel, I'm sorry I killed you. And Abel looked at him and said, did you? Abel forgot. That's the joy of forgiveness. Abel forgot that his brother killed him. 
Abel had the peace of forgetting. Cain never forgot that he killed his brother. He carried the burden. And so when you don't forget those who have offended you, you carry that, it's in you. I'm 58 years a priest, but actually, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if I shared this with you, that my beginning of retreats were not with religious, with deacons, uh, priests. I've gone on to give retreats to seminarians and even bishops. But the ones that I felt most called, especially in my young priesthood and the beginning of my retreat work was uh, to give retreats to prisoners. In my first years of priesthood, I had asked my bishop if I could work with the poor. And in my diocese, there were thousands and thousands of people that lived in housing projects. Blacks, Hispanics, welfare people. And most of those, or a lot of those, were very underprivileged. And many, many of those would go to jail. And they, they actually had these housing projects. There were thousands of people in them. And uh, it was quite a, quite a, uh, a place and a time because I had asked the bishop if I, this is where I'd like to go. And for years and years, that's where I worked. And because many of the young children, there would be children that would uh, drop out of school, they'd get onto drugs, and then they would be delinquent, and then they fed the prison system. Uh, for a time, the, the highest percentage, I think it was like 60% of the people in prison in my area had come from these projects where I, where I served. Murderers, rapists, all kinds of uh, robbers, prostitutes. And so that's where I'd be. And I thought in that time, how am I gonna reach them in prison? And I discovered, and it was really wonderful, I, I formed a team called Cursillo de Cristiandad. Is there, is there Cursillo in Fargo? Do we have Cursillo? If, if you do, raise your hand so I see. Okay, you're acquainted with it. The actual leader of a Cursillo is not a priest. He's a layperson. And so it's the layman who uh, leads the Cursillo. And there were about 15 or 20 of us who belonged to that. I was a member of that team, and we formed this team, and we would go to prisons, and we would form uh, a prison team, and the head of our Curcio team was a fellow who was a lawyer from Philadelphia, magnificent Catholic. His name was John. And uh, we would go, we began first in the state of Pennsylvania, then we go all over the East Coast, and we're, we're really having great success in prisons through Curcio. 
and people were having an experience of great conversion. In, uh, in our area, in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, in, in springtime, it's, uh, it, it, it's very cold. It's not as cold as it is here in Fargo, but it gets very cold. And people from our area go south. Uh, college students, they call it spring break. And uh, John, who was the head of the Crucio, had a son who went to Villanova. And John's son was 20 years old. And he went down to Miami on spring break. And while he was in Miami, uh, a young black man who was on drugs was going to rob him. And John's son got killed in that robbery attempt. And, uh, you know, you can talk about going to jail and you can, you know, it's going, it's distant. But I remember going to Philadelphia and John was brokenhearted. And he saw me come in to the funeral parlor. And here was this boy in the coffin. His wife's crying. He had two daughters. They were just weeping. And when he saw me, he said, uh, I hate those people. I hate them. I'll never go back to jail again. Never. Screaming with anger and grief. I didn't know what to say. I, I just went over to him, put my arms around him. His boy was dead. So I just, I just hugged him and talked to him about anything. Cried. After the funeral, I, I just, uh, just went back. He lived in Philadelphia and I lived in Scranton. And uh, we lost contact for a couple years. I read a book, it was called The Wounded Healer. And uh, I, I was very touched by the book. The whole book was written by Father Henry Nowen, that if you have a wound and that wound heals, you have a power to heal others who have a similar wound. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is based on that principle that it's an alcoholic in recovery who has a sense of how to deal with another alcoholic or a drug addict in recovery can heal others. The wound, if you have it, and once you know the pain of it, if you become healed, you can heal others. And I said the book to John and I asked him, would you ever think of going back to prison? Because you have a wound so deep. I don't have one like you have. They killed your boy. Could you possibly learn to forgive? And if you do, you would have a power to help others. John read the book and he said, I'll try again. And he did. 
a true story. The very next Curcio we had was in Zephyr Hills in Florida. Maximum security, 53 prisoners, lifers, never going to get out of jail, made that, made that retreat. And uh, as we're giving the retreat, unbeknown to me, I'm giving a talk on forgiveness. That's part of the, 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 the talk that the spiritual director gives. And if you know the Crucio method, and many of you know that, it's not like a silent retreat. You give a talk in Crucio, and then you sit down in groups and you talk about the topic. So I gave a talk on forgiveness. And we sat down in little groups, and the group that I was in, unbeknown to me, was the man who killed John's son. And John and I were at the same table. So this young man, a young black man, uh, was saying he was on drugs, and he wanted to get money, and then he names John's son. And he said, there was this young man and, uh, and I needed money. And he's crying and crying. And he said, I, I didn't want to kill him. I only wanted money for drugs. And he said, and I, then I said to him, you know, he was just crying and crying. I said to him, God forgives you. And then he said, yeah, but all I ever want for the rest of my life is the forgiveness of the parents of the man I killed. Because of the prison system, I can't tell them how sorry I am that I killed their boy. The table was completely silent, including John just couldn't talk. Finally, John says, you can have that. And the young man says, that's easy for you to say, because he didn't know who he was. And he said, I'm the father of the boy you and when I saw those two men hugging, crying, forgiving, it was the first time in my life I understood the sacrament of reconciliation. You see, I always taught, and this is true, that Jesus forgives us our sins in the sacrament. I never thought of the Father. But it was the father who sent his son, knowing that we were going to kill him. And my brothers and sisters, you killed him, and I killed him. He died for me and for you. That's why that is in the Bible. The father won't forgive you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. If you hold anyone unforgiven, you will not be forgiven by your father because your father forgives you. 
and everyone is a sinner. Why is forgiveness so important? Because I have been forgiven for killing Jesus. And so, if there's someone in your heart that you have not forgiven, then the Father will not forgive you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.